Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is our Outfield Preview Part 2. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. If you just tuned in for this episode, welcome. Part 1 is the episode before this. That will be helpful if you're looking for a lot of talk about outfielders going roughly in the first 100 picks or so of really early drafts. Your more foundational outfielders are discussed on that episode. And there was one player. Time became a factor for us at the end of the episode. You know, one player with a top 180p who is not part of our last conversation. And by the time people get to hear this podcast, he may play for a new team. And that is Brian Reynolds. And I think the interesting thing about Brian Reynolds is that even if he does not get traded by the Pittsburgh Pirates, the supporting cast is probably getting better in Pittsburgh. They got young players emerging to take on larger roles up and down that lineup. So it's possible that the counting stats will even be a bit better than they've been in recent years as more and more of those players start to show up on the big league roster. But Reynolds threw us for a bit of a loop last season because early in the year, it looked like there was some legitimate skills loss. He recovered, put together a pretty nice campaign, hit a career-high 27 homers, chipped in those seven steals as well. Didn't do it with the usual great batting average. The projections point to a player with a slash line much like what we just saw in 2022. Is that a fair place to put expectations, or do you see a case for him to maybe split the difference between the 2022 slash line and the 2021 and 2019 slash lines? Well, I suppose you would normally regress that barrel rate back to the 10% that he showed in 2020 and 2021, except that 2022 showed the dead and ball for the full season. So I believe this is the dead and ball version of Brian Reynolds. If you look at the bat X that just came out recently, you see that he is projecting even more of a regression in the power department uh, back to uh, somewhere kind of in between 2021 and 22, where the batting average is a little closer to 2022 and the power is uh, as well, but the, uh, the 2022 and the power is back to where 2021 is. So 274, 23 homers. Steamer has 266, 24 homers. I don't really see a reason to quibble with either of, the, either of those. The one thing that I don't like is that long sort of fallow spell. It just... And then I talked to him about it, you know, and he was like, that's just baseball, man. <laughs> and, you know, I struggle with this sometimes because it's like, you know, am I going to let what the player says color my opinion of him? And I think I always do, you know, and I don't think that I wasn't necessarily saying I'm not saying he was being rude and because he's rude, I don't like him. And therefore, I don't like him as a player. Um. I, there's just a suggestion that he didn't identify exactly what went wrong and he didn't make an adjustment. Now, 
he may have and just didn't want to tell me about it. So, but I will say that looking through the various numbers and looking through the various swing heat maps and stuff, I it wasn't obvious to me what change he made. Um, but it still makes me nervous, right? <laughs> like you had that thing happened. Like he had a really bad strikeout rate and he was really bad for like two months. I think that as he gets older, there's just going to be more and more periods like that until, you know, the year that he's out of baseball, it's one season like that. So I just see, when I see, when I look at him, I see a guy who's solid everywhere, but I worry sometimes about the carrying tool. If you look at his center field defense, it's poor. He's probably not a center fielder. He's being shopped as a center fielder, and that's why they might sell him because maybe someone will buy him as a center fielder, but I don't think he should be a center fielder for much longer. If you look at his uh, plate discipline, it looks good. He has a good walk rate, but it's mostly passivity. You know, it's, you know, it doesn't, he doesn't really discern balls and strikes all that well. And if you look at his swing strike rate, it's getting worse and it's really not that good. It's about league average or a little bit worse. So if you look around, you're like, oh, he's very league averagey. And he ended up with 2.9 war. What if he's just kind of a league average guy going forward? Um, In any case, he doesn't do anything well enough for me to be like, this is why I'm drafting Brian Reynolds. You know, maybe I'll draft him as an oatmeal guy if if the if the price is right um but i see other guys in this range that i like i know why i'm dry, dry, uh, drafting brian buxton in this range i know why i'm drafting stephen kwan in this range i know why i might draft tyler o'neill in this range you know i don't know why i'm drafting brian reynolds in this range just to sort of tread water and keep keep you know keep the line going i guess it's fair I think the hardest thing for me to grasp with Brian Reynolds is that for his career, he is 26% better than a league average hitter. It looks oatmeal-y on the surface, but I think that's where some of our issues with the outfield pool have been coming from, right? Because with the dead and ball, with production on the offensive side coming down, we look at lines and we're used to seeing stats that look a certain way that mean something. And this is this is actually very good for the run environment we were just in. There are plenty of slash lines we looked at throughout 2022, and we said, wow, that's actually 5% better than league average. That sounds horrible, and it's 5% better than league average. Yeah, so I think, yeah, I think Reynolds is sort of like the upper bound of the, this was actually a lot better than you think, given the circumstances of 2022. Now, I think your concerns about Reynolds, is he the kind of guy that you trade for in a dynasty league because you think five years from now he's still going to play at this level of course not i think that's that's been clearly expressed in in how you look at him as a player for a real team is a real team going to trade for him and give him that massive extension no they're going to say we're acquiring you because we have you on our team until 2025 and then someone else can sign you and pay you for the long haul because you know we like we like you for the next three years we don't like you for the next eight yeah, and for people being mad at the Pirates for lowballing him, I mean, I think I'd sort of outline the case for why I would not give this guy, you know, two hundred million or whatever. Right. Hope he gets paid eighty, a hundred, one fifty, whatever the the true market is for him. I hope he gets every dollar. But I just think there's there are reasons to be kind of pushing back on on Brian Reynolds as a Mullins comp. Right. Mullins can play center field really well. 
Reynolds can't. That actually makes a pretty big difference in the long run in terms of how those players are valued. In the ADP section here, like Gunnar Henderson, Giddy App, Tyler Glasnow, yes. Mm-hmm. Wander Franco, lovely. You know, Brian Reynolds, I'm like a new oatmeal if I could have Wander Franco or Tyler Glasnow. No. Behind him, maybe there's a line, but still, Alejandro Kirk, he's a really good C1, you know? Wilson Contreras, another C1 in a two-catcher league. If, you, if you're not in a two-catcher league, you don't, you're not into catchers that, up that high. Willie Adamas right there. George Kirby. I mean, it is a place where there's a lot of pitchers where I might just go pitcher. But if Gunnar Henderson is sit, and Wanda Franco are sitting there next to Brian Reynolds, I know I'm taking one of them. Yeah, I think that's part of the problem for me with Reynolds. More about alternatives at other positions being more interesting than him. I think he's appropriately priced. I think you could draft him there and end up being pretty happy with what you end up getting at the end of the season. But the other outfielders going just behind him, you mentioned Tyler O'Neill. We've seen the stat cast numbers. They pop. There's power. There's speed. There were actually some underlying improvements, I believe, in his plate discipline last year when we did see him. And I think the thing that was really interesting is that for having a leg injury, he was still stealing bases when he was out there last year. 14 for 18 is a base stealer in just 96 games. Tyler O'Neill looks like the kind of player that will run more with the new rules because he runs a good bit already. He's efficient and he actually gets on base enough in good years. I think that 352 from 2021 may be an outlier, but High he, walked, he walked more last year than he did in 2021. He struck out less, swung at fewer pitches outside the strike zone. I'm very much in on Tyler O'Neill in this range because when you think about it, just comparing him to Reynolds again, O'Neill was previously being drafted as a top 50 player like a year ago. He has that ceiling. I think that was justifiable if he stayed healthy. And he showed flashes of why it made sense to take that risk on him in that range last year. So I'm actually very in on Tyler O'Neill at this discount. Yeah. Yeah. I particularly like the the new strikeout rate. You know, uh, the projected strikeout rate of 28, it seems very doable. It's sort of splitting the difference between 2021 and 2022. And Tyler O'Neill, if he strikes out 28% of the time, he hits the ball so hard. In 2021, he had the best batted ball quality overall in the league, uh, according to one metric by Max Bay, uh, before he went to work for the Astros. And, you know, it's believable. He hits the ball really, really hard, you know, and it's not just a barrel thing. He hits it at every, at every, you know, at every angle very hard. And he looks the way he does. So, um, you know, I think he could easily uh, hit 240 uh, with that 28% strikeout rate. And if you're hitting 240 and stealing 20 bags, uh, it puts a lot less pressure on your homers, you know. So then he can hit 20 homers and still be super valuable at that pick, or he can hit 30 homers and provide a lot more return for your pick. Yeah, we talked about Kyle Schwarber on part one of the outfield preview. I'd rather just wait and go after Tyler O'Neill than go for Kyle Schwarber a few rounds earlier, even though you know, Schwarber's home run output, he, he could out-homer O'Neill by 10, 12. That could happen again. I know the bags from O'Neill are a little more stable. I actually think the batting and average Schwarber is, a is better, too. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, you know, it is all about cost, you know, and, 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 you know, options, but you know, how many, there's also the question, how many poor average guys can you put on your team? And you can't get Schwarber and O'Neill. I don't think you want to put both those guys on your team. If you do, you better have had 
so like an amazing run at the beginning of batting average guys. Yeah, I think the limit typically for 230, 240 type hitters, two is reasonable. Maybe you can get away with a third if you build in that cushion. But the point of getting the elite hitters is probably trying to win the category more than end up in the middle. I mean, like, I don't yeah. know. I think that's generally how people like to play it. This range, you mentioned Byron Buxton. What what are we doing with Byron Buxton at this point? Another year and some really interesting things. Of, I mean, of all the outfielders I put on the rundown for today, Buxton had the highest slugging percentage of the group, 526. 28 homers in just 382 plate appearances. Still had the six steals. Run production's good. They brought back Carlos Correa. A lot of things to like in Byron Buxton, but the major question is still unanswered. Can he stay healthy for a full season or something closer to a full season? Uh, I'm really uh, checking really quickly uh, his returned value uh, for last year. Because we, 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 we all wanted stolen bases from him. We didn't get it. Uh, we all wanted a full season from him. We didn't get it. Uh, but I, I'm sure he wasn't a $0 player. So let's see what I've got for him. $7. Returned the same as Giancarlo Stanton and Andrew Benintendi. More than Nick Castellanos and Tyler O'Neill, And Tyler O'Neill was being drafted near him. Um, above 0 but not what you paid for. Wait, what do you think it, like an auction cost was? Like 25 Yeah. Mid twenties, I think, was a pretty reasonable number. So you lost money on him. Uh, I think the the closer that he gets to uh, sort of paying ten dollars for him, the the more I'm interested. Um, although it really does seem like we shouldn't be projecting him for a lot of stolen bases anymore. That's the really strange thing, right? So even if you He's just do fast, the but... the super lazy, let's just multiply the games played, give him you know another. Uh, a third of a season, okay, nine steals roughly over a full season. He was nine for 10 as a base dealer in 61 games in 2021. You mentioned he still runs really well. Part of the issue, he's going to hit a lot more home runs. He'll steal fewer bases because he hit a home run. They don't have a chance to steal any bases. You, you got them all at once. The strikeout rate jumped again back to early career levels. I thought that skill had changed for the better. And I'm not sure that 30.4% like you had last year is actually coming back this year. The projection systems come in lower, and I can kind of understand it because he wasn't chasing pitches outside the zone the way he did when the K rate was a little higher a few years ago. So I, I'd, what a weird player. I just I didn't think this would turn out this way. Um, part of the av- the batting average liability, Byron Buxton hit 244 on balls in play for his career. He hits 305. So I don't think he's as much of a batting average liability as you'd think. They're really willing, willing to push the launch angle in Minnesota. They are, you know, as a team, they're a leader in the Statcast era in launch angle and fly ball rate. Uh, they've long had, you know, Sano types and other guys, even Kepler. They've got guys who will hit a lot of fly balls, um, you know, and. I remember back all the way to Brian Dozier, who you know hit fifty percent fly balls in one of his years. So. Um, you know, I think this is a team that preaches uh, hitting the fly balls and, you know, 
Buxton has now hit over 50% fly balls uh, twice in the last three seasons. So I think that is a big part of why his batting average and balls in play is low. But there is sort of the siren song of 2021. I don't know if it's a siren song or just, you know, the appeal. You know, if you took 2021 and made a full season out of it, you'd get a 40-20 season with a 300 batting average. Uh, and in that season, he did everything right. That's one of the best combinations of sort of ground ball, fly ball, barrel rate, max EV, uh, you know, chase rate. Like all those numbers were were were, were aligned. And if he can do that again with more uh, of a of a sample, then you will buy someone f- you know in your auction for ten dollars, who's your second or third outfielder who will be you know come back with thirty five dollar value and be a top 10 player in the league. Yeah. And I think one other consideration, I, I like Buxton where he's going. I think this is enough of a discount. I don't consider him a batting average liability, despite what just happened. I think when you consider which positions to take your injury risk at outfield always has guys who will play on the waiver wire. Always replacing an outfielder is not as hard as replacing other things third base we'll talk about that it's going to be so top heavy this year if you lose a third baseman finding another one on the waiver wire will not be as easy as finding an outfielder so i think that also is that extra little nudge that makes me willing to take a chance on this profile it's so strange to see projected playing time uh, from you know from fan graphs coming in so high above what buxton has done pretty much every single year of his career the projections are all over 550 plate appearances his career best is 5'11". If that happens, you're right. He's going to probably be somewhere between 30 and 40 homers with double-digit steals and as many as 20. That's the type of talent he has flashed. I'll take a chance on that. And maybe you need to get a little oatmeal earlier. Maybe Byron Buxton's the guy you double-tap back-to-back. You go, oh, I'll get my oatmeal. I'll get Brian Reynolds. Reynolds. <laughs> Reynolds and then I'll come and back and get Buxton <laughs> to feel better about the Reynolds pick. Because now I got ceiling to go with the floor that I just drafted a round ago or maybe two rounds ago. Not a bad idea. <laughs> so now I've made a case for, for uh, both Buxton and, and Reynolds, which really wasn't my intent coming into the day. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Seiya Suzuki really popped in the steamer projections. The bat X just dropped as we record this um, here in the middle of January. And I look at Seiya Suzuki as a guy that does everything pretty well. I like where he's going right now. I, I think he'll probably stay in this range, because you're looking at you know O'Neill versus Suzuki. Suzuki had injury issues of his own last year. Buxton injury issues we talked about, and then it's a lot of other first-time players in this range: Jake McCarthy, Stephen Kwan, Taylor Ward. There's just not a lot of track record to fall back on for part of this group. It's like, do you want the guy that has done it for several years, or do you want one of these newcomers who could actually be on their way up into the top 100? I think. It's a little bit tricky to to parse that out. Yeah, and uh, the the thing that I would preach for Suzuki, and this is a tough one, but we talk all the time about 
chase rate here. We love to, to talk about swinging at pitches outside the zone, and, and it is predictive of uh, how good your OPS is going to be. It's it's useful in small samples. Uh, it tells you a lot about the player quickly. However, it doesn't um, always lead to better batted ball quality. There isn't actually a link between your chase rate and your batted ball. There's no correlation. Um, there is a correlation if you start thinking about how much you swing in the zone. And that makes sense because barrels live in the zone. Like if you'd make a heat map of the zone, like barrels live in the mid or middle middle. Um, so you actually want to swing at the zone and not swing at the outside. And Seiya actually just doesn't swing. <laughs> you know, like uh, a good zone minus uh, a good zone swing minus chase rate. You know, so Z swing minus O swing on fan graphs, a good one. Uh, you know, top of the leader, top of the leaderboard is uh, over 50, but a good one uh, is over 40. Uh, he's at uh, less than 30. Um, and, it, you know, I would like to see him be more aggressive in the zone. So that's something I'm looking for for Suzuki. I didn't see it necessarily over the course of the season uh, last year. If you're looking at the at the day by day graphs uh, that they've got on fan graphs. Uh, but I do think that, uh, could happen as he gets more acquainted with the league, uh, because, you know, he now knows which pitches he can do damage on, um, and he's seen the league. So I do think that there is a potential that he's better this season. Um, it is interesting. Bad X, 19 homers, steamer 25. Uh, there's a, a difference of opinion there on the quality of his, you know, the likelihood of his 11% barrel rate. One thing that I do know is that the bat X more heavily regresses small sample players, rookies uh, and, and small sample players than I think Steamer does. Steamer's a little bit more aggressive uh, with small samples. And so I think Steamer is uh, looking at that barrel rate and basically giving him a similar barrel rate next year, another 11% barrel rate um, and some improvement uh, on that. Uh, power, whereas uh, the bad X is re- still regressing because he's kind of like a prospect almost still. Yeah, so I like Suzuki quite a bit. Part of the reason I would buy in, I mean, the barrel rate being 11% in his first year in the big leagues, that stacks up pretty favorably to a lot of other players that we're going to talk about throughout the episode. Does control the zone well enough, even with some of the maybe overly passive concerns that you you brought up. Only 446 plate appearances last season because of injury, and a ton of guys in this range were lower than a full season's worth of plate appearances. And it wasn't just by like one stint on the 10-day IL that was on and back a couple weeks later. It was considerable missed time. What I look at when I'm trying to evaluate playing time is, is it based on roster construction? Is it possible for this player to be a 600-plate appearance player or a 550-plate appearance. You can kind of draw that line wherever you need to draw that line. But I think Suzuki at least has a path to be a max-volume player. He can be the kind of guy that only gets the occasional day off. I think that's a big part of his appeal because as we move further down this list, we don't have to go that far, you start to find guys who are legitimately going to be platooned or they've got some kind of skills question where the bottom could drop out. And I think Jake McCarthy kind of fits into the conversation right here. When you look at stolen base projections for the upcoming season, it doesn't matter what system you use, Jake McCarthy is going to be among the league leaders in stolen bases. Top five, top seven, top ten, somewhere in that range. 
high 20s for steals. It makes sense based on his tools. I believe in that skill for Jake McCarthy as much as I believe in anything else he's going to do. Where it starts to kind of fall apart for me with Jake McCarthy is the power, right? I don't think I believe in the power at all. And you can see that reflected a little bit in the disparity between Steamer's projection for him and the Bat X's projection for him. And we were digging into McCarthy a little bit before the show. When you go back to his minor league track record, you don't see a really dominant player at a lot of levels. You see a guy that was a little above league average pretty much everywhere, which is fine. But that always makes me wonder just how viable a player is going to be in the long run in the big leagues. And with McCarthy, we saw him for about two-thirds of a big league season last year. So it's possible the league hasn't necessarily figured him out yet, but that they will have a better plan for getting him out. And then, of course, with all of this, too, the barrel rate for Jake McCarthy among the worst of the players we're going to talk about, under 5%, right? So that's in, like, Asturias Ruiz territory. So I'm, I'm just saying that there's some serious downside with Jake McCarthy that people might not be realizing for a guy at pick 120, pick 125. Yeah, those death chart concerns you're talking about, say, Suzuki versus Nelson Velasquez, right? You know, it's mm-hmm. like a, we're going to take, say, Suzuki. If he's healthy. He's in there. He's playing. And when you're talking about the depth chart concerns in Arizona, you're talking about Jake McCarthy, Alec Thomas, who had better minor league numbers than Jake McCarthy, was more of a prospect um, and now sits behind Jake McCarthy, uh, you know, on the depth chart now that Corbin Carroll is up. Um, you've got, uh, you know, Lords Guriel Jr. Like, you've got a lot of options there uh, for players. If he slips at all, he's not a center fielder by defensive trade. He didn't play there last year very much, 12 games in center. And, uh, and and so the depth chart concerns are there. And then you start looking at the minor league points, and you were, you were pointing out Reno is AAA. That's uh, that's an extreme uh, ballpark to the point where pitches don't even bend as much. And then uh, you said Amarillo was double A. It's also a hitter's park. Uh, those are the only two places that he's shown good power in the minor leagues. Otherwise, he's been actually sort of below average for power. And, um, you know, what he has shown is, is, is a good hit tool, uh, really high BABIPs, uh, sneaking the ball around. And in fact, I've watched enough Jake McCarthy that I that I believe in the hit tool. Um, you know, I, I actually believe in it a little bit more than the Fangrass Prospects crew, which has a 40-45 hit tool. I think it's a plus hit tool. You start looking at those batting averages he put up despite some of the bad strikeout rates he had, uh, the high batting averages and balls in play in the minor leagues. And Jake McCarthy, I've seen him do the kind of magic wand do thing, which uh, that's like a, a term from Dwayne Kuyper out here, uh, where he... I've seen him very much slow the bat down and poke the ball into left field as a left as a, as a left hander, right? Like I've seen him sort of mean to go the other way, poke it through an uh, an empty infield. I've seen him do that enough where I like his hit tool, but is that enough? Like it might be the only thing he really has going for him offensively. If his chase rate is bad, his walk rate is bad, his swing strike rate is not good, his Past strikeout rates are not good. You're talking about below average, uh, you know, swing decisions. Uh, you're talking about below average power, and you're talking about non-center field defense. If you're drafting Jake McCarthy, you really believe in that hit tool. You know, it's a lot of pressure on that hit tool, and it's a hit tool that other evaluators have looked at and said was below average. So, uh, it's just, I'm just saying this is not a top prospect on a on an infield on an outfield. 
that has two top prospects and a proven veteran on it as well. Um, and by Fangraphs, his his carrying tool is speed. And that is just the least valuable carrying tool. If you have one tool and it's speed, then that's that's not good. If I if you say he has a hit tool and speed, like I'm saying, that's still often profiles as like a fourth outfielder. You know, like that's still not uh, always a starting outfielder. Those are not always the two most valued uh, tools in baseball today. So um, I, I agree with you that there's more collapse opportunity here. Uh, than people might be realizing. I'm looking at the ADPs here, uh, trying to find McCarthy. I can do that with a uh, Control-F. The old Control-F uh, comes through again. Uh, Jake McCarthy at 129 behind Nick Castellanos. Sure, I'll take McCarthy for the speed, like 1v1 against Castellanos maybe, uh, ahead of Chris Bryant. I don't mind taking him over those the three that he's immediately sandwiched with. Uh, but there are people behind him, Santander, um, you know, uh, actually, uh, Ian Happ. There's a guy who's behind him. Ian Happ is, uh, let's see here, 30 picks behind him. And I will take Ian Happ. I mean, when we're well, talking about zone minus zero, uh, zone minus uh uh zone swing minus reach rate ian happ was 14th in baseball last year that was an improvement o- over uh what he's done in the past and it's the reason why he's put together aggression with the eye he's always had um you know to 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 have uh, one of the best strikeout rate that he's had in his career uh i i could see him adding a little bit more of the power back in uh, and uh, having a you know sort of a 260-2010 season that allays some of my worry about uh, the stolen base production that McCarthy would be give me. Uh, I would be getting some of that from Hap, and I would just I just believe in him depth chart wise again. And you know I think Hap and Suzuki are, are fairly safe there. Yeah, I think with McCarthy, the best case for him is saying, well, I don't know if I see anybody else with 25-plus steals that I actually think hits enough to stay in the lineup, right? If you don't believe in Asturi Ruiz later, you don't believe it's another bats that fall that are projected for that much speed, okay, it's last. It's like the last chance at a player like that. Oh, but I'd man. rather just say, I'll get a guy that steals 10 or 12 bases or get a eight, couple of those. and just get a couple guys that patch those bags together who have better offensive profiles overall. I'll I'll pass on trying to get all those steals from one roster spot. That's more along the lines of my thinking. And Stephen Kwan sits right here too. Steal, yeah, uh, but also like is Stephen Kwan going to steal twenty eight? Uh, it is interesting. He's maybe last chance saloon a little bit. I'm trying to. I'm I'm, I'm scrolling through. I'm at one fifty now. Uh, you know, there's definitely some tens. Cabrian Hayes, Ian Happ. There's definitely uh, tens down here. Javier Baez, if you need to. Um, you know, there's tens and fifteens. Nemo down here, but I, I am not seeing a guy that I'd say, oh, you know, here's twenty five thirty. Um, Bellinger, you know, if there's a t- complete like turnaround, but that's one eighty four. So that's like fifty fifty picks later. And uh, more of a reclamation project, a, a shot in the dark. Maybe Vaughn Grissom. He's actually slower than people think, though. There is a guy that goes sixty picks later than Lars than than uh, than Jake right now. Lars Newtbar. That <laughs> uh, 
here's a guy I've actually trained with. We've we've had our shirts off together. Um, and uh, I have to report uh, that uh, he looks better with his shirt off than I do. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it seems seems reasonable given your <laughs> chosen occupations. Yeah. Um, so Newt Bar is maybe not going to steal 28. Um, and he uh, has uh, his own, I think, depth chart concerns. And in fact, there's a lot of helium uh, behind Newt Bar right now, uh, maybe due to um, that fan base. I think he's the starter to start the season. I think it goes O'Neal, Carlson, Newt Bar. But there's Jordan Walker is just breathing. He's just, you know, fire breathing. He's just knocking down the door. He's not going to come in and play third over Nolan Arenado. I did not see the kind of fluidity that I wanted to see out of Jordan Walker for to think that he can play second. I think bringing him up to DH would be silly. But I suppose Dylan Carlson is has not been as good as we'd hoped so far. And um, you could just run four good defensive outfielders out there every day and not play Juan Yepes that much. You good. know, mm-hmm. keep Tyler O'Neill healthier by playing him at, at DH some days. I mean, he's not a bad defensive outfielder, but, you know, just you could keep him healthier maybe. Um, maybe it's... maybe. It, it's not as obvious a situation as Jake McCarthy, where uh, the death chart screams that Newt Bar is in trouble. Um, and then the reasons that I like Newt Bar are we've got uh, plus eye, uh, plus contact, you know, plus swinging strike rate, plus strikeout rate, plus barrel rate, plus max EV, plus chase rate. Uh, he's added a bat speed uh, in last in both of the last two seasons. He's training a drive line to add some more. He won't steal 28 bases, but I think he could steal 10 with the new, new rules. And so you're looking at a guy that I think could uh, be very close to an old uh, Cardinals outfielder, Tommy Pham. That's a good I fantasy player. Tommy Tommy Pham vibes. Young Tommy Pham. You were talking about a 25-year-old who's just about to head into his peak season. So there's going to be some hype machine around Lars Newbar. Some of it will be my fault. Some of it will be the fault of the things I just said. Um, some of it will be the fault of the Cardinals fan base voting him the fourth best left, fourth best right fielder on MLB now. I over 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 Tatis over. I mean, it was like it was pretty hilarious. Anyway, uh, there there will be some helium, and you have to. I think you just have to be careful uh, to buy him at. You know, sort of two fifty twenty ten, and don't don't push don't push the ceiling higher, because two fifty twenty ten would be a great season for Lars Newbar next year, and if he does more than that, then good. But don't pay for more than two fifty twenty ten. I don't think. Would you ever draft Stephen Kwan in his current ADP? It is like a typical fifteen team mixed league. I mean, I that, understand that was that was way above Newbar, right? Like he was that was yeah. more by Jake McCarthy. He's like a yep, like one twenty. It's like McCarthy, Stephen Kwan, and then Taylor Ward. Three guys that we never would have expected to see sitting in this range together. You know, the alternatives are interesting. In this pocket here, I could see maybe doing it because, you know, uh, although Hunter Green is 117, and um, 
I I love love Hunter Green. So if I could choose Hunter Green or Stephen Kwan, I'd have to have like four pitchers already before if I choose Stephen Kwan. So I, it's going to be Hunter Green there. Take a fifth pitcher, man. Don't take Stephen Kwan there. I don't think so. Get Hunter Green as your fifth pitcher. That would be my advice. It, Is that fifth pitcher territory, 117? Uh, I mean, if you're just going real yeah, heavy 10 rounds pitching. or whatever. Yeah, well, you might have a two closers depending on how you play. I would say that. even take Hunter Green as your third or third or fourth pitcher before Stephen Kwan. I don't know. Uh, if the question is Hunter Green versus Stephen Kwan, just take Hunter Green and figure out how you're going to get the outfield sorted out later. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I think it's you know the one thing is Kwan is a lefty and you know he, he's going to be affected by the shift. The other thing is that he's he's going to go up and down as the Babip goes, right? He's sure. He's, He's just going to do what the Babbitt does. And he's not in line to help you in batting average. In fact, if you take him, you're taking a, a virtual zero in batting average. Normally, when you take a virtual zero in batting average, it comes with a lot of steals. He had 19 steals last year. Maybe he has more uh, with it. He's projected to have a lot less. He did not have a lot of steals in the minors. So are you super into taking a 300 hitting four homer 15 stolen base guy i'm not into that kind of player i i think the stolen base downside is is there yeah the average is great playing time should be okay i don't know i don't know what you're really holding on to if you're drafting him in this range because it's one thing to take a first time player there that does all the underlying things right if he had a 13 percent barrel rate and we could look at all the underlying skills, the athleticism, and go, yeah, this this totally makes sense. We're in. This he, did, is the guy he only hit six up. homers last year, but he had underlying power that wasn't being shown. I could tell myself a story with Jake McCarthy that he does keep his job. Like, that can happen. That's in the range of outcomes. And that he's going inside the top 75 next year. I can't, I can't even in my head make up a narrative that I believe with Stephen Kwan doing the same. 310-30. And then you're, you're going through this other kind of general thing. Are you, are you passing on guys that have been very good or great in the past who at least are, are solid right now? I mean, Yelich, Castellanos for a bounce back, Chris Bryant, they're all sitting there. I'm going to take Stephen Kwan over those guys? None of them. I'm, I'm taking all three of those guys, Yelich, Castellanos, and Bryant. I don't have a catcher yet, and we've got William Contreras, Sean Murphy, Tyler Stevenson coming up. Just can't can't do it. Can't draft Stephen Kwan at that price. There's just not enough there that I like to justify it. Yeah, and he won me AL Labor last year. I'd, yeah, I'd, you know, everyone, you know, everyone makes sense at a certain time, and then doesn't make sense. That's what I was saying about Lars Newtbar. Like, I love him at 196 over Riley Green. I'll take Lars Newtbar 999 times before I take Riley Green. It's a lot of exposure. <laughs> um, Might be a little overweight on Lars Newtbar shares. <laughs> Too many Lars Newtbars. You get you get heavy. Um, uh, <laughs> the uh, yeah, he's he's there against Jorge Mateo. Brand- oh, there's your there's your next uh, twenty five stolen base guy. So, in fact, it goes from Jake McCarthy at one twenty whatever to 202 and Jorge Mateo before you get another 25 steel guy, I think. Whit Merrifield at 192. But then you're, you're, you've, uh, you're, what is it? You've fallen down the ugly tree. You've hit a, hit a couple of branches. 
<laughs> on the way yeah. down the ugly tree. But Newt Bar, like right now, just like blows me off. Like he's just like off the page. Like, oh, that's the guy I'm taking in his range, you know? Right. Well, yeah. When it's Bader, Nimmo, Newt Bar, Hanniger, Oscar Gonzalez, Cody Bellinger, he stands out. But then if what he if- jumps. And he's part of the Yelich, Santander, yeah. Castellanos, Bryant group. You're like, oh, no, I like this guy. But these guys have all been really good. Right. I got I to gotta take these guys instead. And that, and that sort of describes like what I, I think it, like it's next year for Quant. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like if Newt Bar has the season I think he can have, the next year he's going to get pushed up to a point where I'd be like, man, I don't think I can get Newt Bar this year. You know what I mean? Just like we had with Quant. Like I had a, a fair amount of shares of Quant last year because – he was like a last pick, you know, <laughs> and yeah. uh, and now and now he's one thirteen. I'm like I don't know. So you just watch you watch these guys, and you have to be you have to sort of uh, keep it in the pants, I guess. Taylor Ward, what do you make of him? Taylor Ward uh, was Taylor Ward uh, had decent plate discipline, uh, but oh, Taylor Ward was on my list of guys that make contact and had a good barrel rate. And that that list uh, was pretty exciting. That list has you know Harper and and Soto and like Acuna on it. So a twenty one percent strikeout rate and a twelve percent barrel rate for the season is a wicked combo. You know that's a really good combo. That should lead to a high batting average and high power. You know, uh, <clears throat> except then we see the sort of shape of his season. And if we're talking about being weirded out by the shape of uh, Brian Reynolds season, then you should be weirded out by the shape of Taylor Ward's season. He had a 500 Woba for the first 50 games of the season. <laughs> and then he was flirting with 250 for the next 100 games of the season. And then he got hot at the end of the season again. And I don't really know why someone with the skills that he seems to have would be that uh, up and down. I did talk to him, and I never, I never published it, but I did talk to him about what his approach was. And I think he's a high ball hitter that learned to, you know, spit on everything low. And that means not a very high chase rate. That's good. It should mean a high barrel rate because the high pitches go for better launch angles. He's managed to do it with a a good strikeout rate. Maybe at some point they started throwing him low fastballs and he, and he had to show them he could do something on that. So the thing, the fact that he went back up again at the end of the season I'm going to draft Taylor Ward. I I really like guys who make contact and hit hit barrels. An 8.3 swing strike rate on the year? I mean, he's a guy who could do what I just said for Newt Bar. Uh, except that I, he's way more expensive. Yeah, I'm not expecting a whole lot for steals for Ward, but I actually think a lot of what he was doing last year is pretty sustainable. Uh, I think if you end up in a room with people like me who prefer... Yelich to Ward and Castellanos and Bryant to Ward, and he's the last of the the cluster still there. That's probably the the best case I have for him. But like, am I just being a Brewers homer with Christian Yelich? Like, I know he's not MVP Yelich anymore. That's fine. He's still a good fantasy player. Oh, I want to see his auction return value. I bet it was in the low double, like fourteen to fifteen dollars, would be my guess. Top 30 outfielder. Where is he? Oh, whoa, look at that. A dollar less than Stephen Kwan. 
and Three, then we've seen six, we've seen nine, it for multiple 12, years, and we've seen 16th, it with a big ceiling too. Sixteenth, sixteen dollar, sixteenth player, tied with Ronald Acuna Jr. on value for the year. Yep, just behind Marte and Stephen Kwan. Man, yeah, why why do we denigrate? He's not who he used to be, but two fifty fourteen nineteen. As a lefty who hits the ball on the ground and, and hits it fairly hard. Ooh. Average could tick up a little bit, so you get a little extra value there. Even if the power doesn't come back, runs enough, doesn't have playing time risk, and I don't think the lineup's any worse than it was. It might even be a little better. Yeah, I think it's better. So RBIs could tick up a little bit too, although that, that could depend on lineup placement. They use them, they use them more like a table setter than, you know, consider a the possibility of another 30, 40 difference between the runs and the RBIs for Yelich, but I don't know. Like this, this is like Miami Yelich kind of 2.0. And there's a little bit of uh, good news there where his barrel rate and his max EV were higher than they were in 2021. Uh, yep. Not back to uh, MVP uh, status there uh, on either, but um, 117 max EV. This is the guy who hits the ball hard, and he, he pulls it a fair amount, and he hits it on the ground. I think he could really benefit uh, from the pull rules, the new shift rules. So, what if he hits 275 with 20 homers and 20 steals next year? Then he'll go inside the top 50 going into 2024. And his auction value will be higher than it was last year because the numbers are higher. Unless it's all, unless all the, the, unless everybody goes up and he just stays the same. But still, he's not going right now as a top twenty outfielder, is he? Mm, I don't think so. I think it's like outfielder number thirty by OBP or by uh, ADP. All right, we like him. I. Again, I try not to be a homer, but that just seems like pretty clear value from Christian Yelich in that spot. Uh, Santander is one of those guys that actually impresses me a little bit because he does what you were talking about earlier with Taylor Ward. Yes, he was low on that strikeout list. rate, he was on low that strikeout list. rate, lots of barrels, and like the, when you look more closely at how much Camden Yards changed last year, it's actually really impressive to see Santander with a 33 home run season in that ballpark. Yeah, yeah, and I, I've had him in some places uh, where it's like, um, you know, auto new points leagues where, you know, I got him for nothing because he doesn't walk normally. And last year he actually walked a little bit and was 20% better than league average with a stick. And I don't know if that's going to necessarily continue. It's not a walk-heavy profile. And the defensive numbers were not kind to him. And so there is a fair amount of playing time risk with him as the Orioles get better, I think. Uh, You know, as a real-life player, he's not amazing. But uh, do I think Kyle Stowers is about to take his job? I think they have Nomar Mazzara. No, Ryan McKenna. Like, I don't think any of those guys are taking the job right now. It's somebody whose name I don't know. That might take his job. You know what I mean? It's somebody lower down. That means they got to take a couple years to get there. So I think Santander's uh, playing time is safe. I think even if he doesn't walk as many and he doesn't and he's you know he's not a good uh, pick in 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 points and in, in OBP leagues, he's still going to be a good pick in batting average leagues. Yeah, 
I think he's just a really solid option in this range. Uh, we mentioned Castellanos and Bryant a couple of times. I mean, Bryant, it's just health, a full season from him in Colorado. I think he can put up good numbers. Might be playing a lot of meaningless games this year and, and forever, but I think there's still enough there skills-wise where I really like him as a, oh, a bounce-back candidate. Castellanos is so weird because, you know, like projection-wise, uh, I don't think, let me see what the auction calculator likes for Castellanos here. Um. Yeah, Santander's in the top thirty. Taylor Ward's in the top thirty by projections. Uh, Christian Yelich's. I don't see Castellanos. Let me see on the next page. Oh yeah, he's the forty fourth outfielder. So he's like, there's a lot of names that uh that go behind him. That like Hunter Renfro goes behind him, and you know is projected to be more valuable. John Carlos Stanton. Nimo, a lot of guys who go behind Castellanos. So the, by projections, uh, you know, it's it's not good. It's a 260-24 line, basically, by projections. And yet, he's been way better than that in the past. And we just saw a really good postseason run uh, with the glove. But he hit 185 in the postseason. But he said he was way more engaged and you have to think this Phillies team is going to be good. Except, did you know the projections don't really love the Phillies team still? <laughs> That's kind of strange. It is. I think it is strange. If you just look at projected war, the Phillies are the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12th team in baseball. That's probably with a half season of Bryce Harper factored in though, right? So yeah, tack on three more wins. How much do they jump up with that? Yeah, with three more wins, uh, they're like eighth right behind the Cardinals. Seems about right. I guess. I was about to say, what if Nick Castellanos and the Phillies, what if the Phillies are good and Nick Castellanos is more engaged and he has something that looks a little bit more like his old seasons, you know? But that's a lot of what ifs, man. Like, you're going to, you're going to put money on that. You're going to, you're going to buy those what ifs. If I can buy him at projections, then maybe I'll buy them at projections and hope that he has a more engaged season. It's a good ballpark. He shouldn't have hit 13 homers on a full season like he did last year. You yeah, I, mean? I I don't know why he, his walk rate was a career worse. His barrel rate was a career worse. Chase rate was worse. Yeah, he, I, was I think just, that's pressing. New new contract. Like he want. He was like, I I was brought like you know have to think of that, like the player. Like I was brought here to, you know, to help this team over the top. You know, maybe I'm struggling. I mean, and you hear a lot of the like if you read Matt Gelb's coverage, like during the season, he was down on himself. You know. I think there is a bit of a, a cliff, though, soon after this group. I, I would say, you know, Yelich and Bryant for me are definitely ahead of, of Castellanos. I think he fits in this range. I would have a hard time choosing between Castellanos and Renfro, who you mentioned, and even Giancarlo Stanton. We had a point last year, I think it was early in the year on the 3 0 show, where I asked you and Britt, is Giancarlo Stanton now somehow underrated? Did he go from a guy that people thought was probably a little better than he actually was to someone who is now underappreciated for the things that he actually can do really well. Because of course, if you like barrels and we love barrels, 19.2% barrel rate, it's the highest of any of the outfielders that you're going to find outside the top 100 overall. It's not even close. Health concerns are definitely there, but have they found a way to kind of manage his health concerns? I mean, 579 after and 452 is not that bad. No, over a thousand plate appearances looking at the last two seasons combined probably puts him in the top twenty 
75%, so like the 75th percentile in playing time, maybe even a little higher. That's not bad. 30 home runs easily, plenty of RBIs, a little light and run scored. Actually a good player to pair with his old teammate, Christian Yelich, because the runs and RBIs are in the opposite direction. Hmm. Yeah, he's going to be an RBI maker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's like a two eleven I mean, average, the career low. That's not that's not going to happen again. Yeah, he's also thirty three, and you know any health concerns, strikeout concerns, batting average concerns are only going to be augmented as he goes forward. So you can tell why you know people just aren't as excited by him. You know, like if you could take Andrew Vaughn. Uh, you could you tell yourself like the stories we tell ourselves about how Andrew Vaughn's going to get better and do all this. Like I wouldn't necessarily take Andrew Vaughn over John Carlos Stanton, but I can see how it happens. You especially in this range, you think I want to take someone that excites me that I think could put me over the top. Uh, and you're not thinking I'm going to take someone who's going to be on my roster all year. This is uh, he's at 145. Right around here is where you stop having players that necessarily are on your roster all year. You know, it's it's where the worm turns, and the percentage likelihood that they're going to be on your roster all year starts dropping under fifty. John Carlos Stanton has a barrel rate above fifteen percent every single year of the Statcast era. That's awesome. That's amazing. Yeah, That's very hard to do. People should geek out about that, and they don't. And I love it because that means I get cheap power in this range. That's reliably there. I don't. I feel like I haven't bumped into anybody who's like, no, John Carlos Stanton's still really good. He's one of the best values in the outfield pool. I think that's actually kind of what's happening here. I think maybe. I mean, I'm much rather taking the Hunter Renfro, you know, and I've taken him over Andrew Vaughn. I think I'm taking like I Taylor Taylor Ward and Santander have that like. Maybe their batting average will be good, but I'm probably taking a pass on the Castellanos, McCarthy, Bryant trio. Stanton hit 273 in 2021. Right. He's the same dude. He's probably going to hit 240, but he could be. He could be back in the 260, 270 range again. Yeah. What What are we doing? So he's 33. That's it. That's like the biggest argument against him. That's really it. Is the team around him better? It's not worse. Could get better with a few of the young guys. Do you see the projection with for Harrison Bader? The Zips projection? Ooh, I want to see it because we're in that range, right? Bader's actually one of those guys that I keep getting tricked by every year. I keep looking at the positives and saying, this is the year. He's quietly becoming the new Victor Robles for me. He just uh, Dan Zaborski. He he rolls them out like team by team, so it's he's not on, they're not on the pages yet. Sixteen homers from the bad X, twenty steals from the bad X. I'll take that. But check this out: four and a half WAR from Bader from Zips. Ooh. That's all star. Now it's I guess a fair amount of his, his defense here because he's only projected for he's <laughs> he's projected for four and a half WAR. In 395 plate appearances. What? That almost sounds like something's broken. That's crazy with 13 homers. I don't know. Oh, no, 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 no. Okay, that's different. Down here, it's 395, 3.2 war. So he must have a slightly different That's the whole position. That's probably for like center field as a group or something. Yeah, yeah. 
But if he, I, I mean, if he does this and has a 104 OPS plus and has the best defense on the team, he's going to play more than 395 plate appearances. If he plays more than 395 plate appearances, Harrison Bader, I think, will have the same kind of stuff that they're projecting him in other places. You know, 16, 17 homers, 20 stolen bases, could be 25. I mean, he's he could be in that range that gets more. Um, I've always liked him. The the barrel numbers have really fallen off, though. Yeah, he's, a one year he's chosen blip. contact over barrels, I think. But if it's like a seven to eight percent barrel rate, which is where he's been close, close to that first career, right? Six point eight percent for his career, that works. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's just a bet on health and playing time because yeah. his career high plate appearances is four hundred and twenty seven. That's lower than I would have expected because in my mind, Bader is that Gold Glove center fielder that is in the lineup as much as he's healthy to be in the lineup. He's a 600-plate yeah. appearance guy based on how good his glove is. Yeah, I think these Yankees need... that They traded for him. They traded for him even when he was hurt, you know? So they 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 see him as the best center fielder. I don't think they want Judge in center that much. Aaron Hicks, I don't think, can play um, center anymore uh, after all the injuries. Uh, Florial is not um, really a major league bat, I don't think, so... Harrison Bader's the guy when he's healthy. I guess judge sometimes, but uh, I like Bader. Uh, is this aggressive for for that profile? No, I think Bader and Ian Happ steals. being right next to each other makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, and Happ is a little probably a lot safer because his OBP gives him more real life offensive value that leads to more runs, more opportunities. So, but. I, We've already established that people will take more of a risk for more steals, mm-hmm. um, and Hap is not is going to steal about half as much as as Bader. So, yeah. See, this is I know that Stephen Kwan's floor as a hitter is much higher than Harrison Bader's floor as a hitter. This is where I'll give up some floor and take a chance on everything going right. And another part of this too. That's what I'm saying. This is where you start taking chances because you're, you'd rather get the upside of someone who actually contributes a lot to your team and then know that like this is starting to be where you might have to replace the guy off waivers. You get the park factors boost too. We barely got a chance to see it last year because he was hurt when they acquired him. But Harrison Bader going from St. Louis, going to Bush from Bush stadium to Yankee stadium. It's kind of nice for that offensive profile, especially when, Power can be that thing that's a little inconsistent from him. Yeah, and maybe maybe it's enough. Uh, you know that Andrew Benintendi said that uh, in in Chicago in with the White Sox, he, he's he's going to spend the offseason um, trying to pull the ball in the air. I was like, wow. Now, now he's going to try that? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess, you know, having talked to, um, uh, who was the... Oh my God! Why am I my name failing? The 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 Royals guy that was a big prospect came up, struggled, went down, came back up, and was good. Went to the World Series with them. Was the third baseman? Hosmer. No, was the third baseman. Ended up in the outfield. Ended up in the outfield. Royal. Will Myers moved around, but he didn't play for them then. No, the old was the like, third baseman. Older catcher. guy. Yeah, he was like their get- veteran. A third baseman on that team, but he didn't come. He didn't play at third in the end. Oh, well. Wait, hold on. Uh, Most challenging it. game of guess whoever. 
Really? No way. It's going to be so obvious when I tell you. You didn't give me that many clues. Yeah, but that's a pretty good one. <laughs> there you go. He was on the I'm World Series there. team. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. Alex Gordon. Yeah, okay. Okay. That's he I gave yeah, that's, you enough. I gave you enough clues. Anyway. He's the other guy. Yeah. All Alex right. Gordon Fine. said that when he came up, he was trying to pull the ball in the air. He was trying to hit for homers, and that park didn't reward it at all. And so he stopped doing that. And so there might be something to uh Benintendi getting to Kansas City and saying, you know, I'm going to to hit the ball on the ground a little bit more, I guess, make more contact. He did have some of his better strikeout rates. Uh, you know, while he was there, he he pulled the ball less while he was there. Um, but now that he's in a park that rewards it, maybe we get back to the 20 homers and 10 stolen bases from Ben Attendee. The park should aid his batting average as well. He has really good, uh, you know, contact plus patience ability. Uh, you know, he's a left-hander, could benefit from the shift and from the uh, stolen base rules. Like, it's not out of the question that he hits 270, 2010, 2015, uh, and a little bit safer than than Newt Bar. He goes all uh, 40, 50 picks later, too. Really? Yeah. Ben Tenney's not even in the cutoff. 228. Today, really. Yeah. Oh, I just talked myself into Ben Tenney, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I went off. I went off. I, I got unfocused there. We were we were in the sort of Bader Hanager Nimo territory. Oscar Gonzalez. Uh, I assume you know. you're in. You're in on Hanager because the playing time ceiling is really high. They'll just let him go. I, I like I said in another episode. I think Hanager and Conforto um, are the two guys that pretty much have to play as much as they can to make this team work because they're going to be mixing and matching everywhere else, you know. And so yeah. you can't mix and match everywhere. And so I think Hanager and Conforto are. Or, you know, hey, if you're healthy, you're playing tonight. Um, and there's, and, uh, well, there's for, Brandon from, Nimmo, too. We, got you, we should get Nimmo in here. Nimmo is funny because he does not do that well on the zone minus uh, O-swing. He, he's like a one of the best in the league at, at, at not chasing balls, but he's just very passive in general. And so you can actually sort of see in his profile, oh, yeah. You know, being passive and taking walks doesn't always lead to a high barrel rate. Like he he has never really had a high barrel rate, you know. But he has a good enough one that I can see double digit homers. Um, and you know, he's a lefty batter could benefit. Uh, you know, with a fifty percent ground ball rate, could benefit from some of the the shift rules. Uh, I I don't know how I'm gonna how far I'm gonna push the stolen bases. He's like Christian Yelich without the steals. More yeah. average the last couple of years, but just in terms of where the power table setter looks like it is, more yeah. runs than RBIs. It's um, it's an interesting profile. Plus, there's a lot of injuries uh, in the past, and they're the kind of that seem to me kind of reoccurring, doesn't it? Like hamstring injuries and stuff. Yeah, soft tissue stuff rather than only things where it was a collision, it was a hit by pitch, like the more freaky type things again a lot of times i want to know why i'm i'm drafting a guy especially when you, you start building a team right and you're building a team you're like oh i need homers i need steals isn't that what happens especially around pick 170 where you're like you have needs right i'm not sure exactly what the needs are that nemo fulfills he's not really going to give you power he's not really going to give you speed he might give you batting average but he doesn't do it every year 
Um, and he should give you runs, but are you drafting for runs? How often are you at pick 175 being like, man, I really need some runs on this team? Maybe, maybe if not you're often using, enough, probably. Right? Yeah, it's true. If you're using an auction, like you should, probably should be using one of those auction tools, like RotoWire or whatever, um, because those sometimes can tell you that you have too many runs or not enough runs or RBI, or whatever. In a lot of leagues, you can't do trades, so you have to know. You have to build a balanced team. So, yes, I could see picking Nemo for runs at this point. I don't hate his his uh, draft value. Um, you know, what's the the auction calculator? Is this the? Oh, this is twenty twenty two. Where's he's probably a fifteen dollar guy too. It's gonna be well, yellow eleven dollars right after Stanton. Yeah, it's because it goes Stanton Nemo Hap. Yeah, all right. So totally fine where he's going. Uh, a couple of guys that are tough before we close out the top 200. Really, just two more names we're going to get to before we sign off for this episode. Oscar Gonzalez. He's a tough player for me to figure out. Playing time, how stable is that? Skills, how much do we like what he's shown us so far? Uh, at pick 185, is Oscar Gonzalez uh, a risk worth taking? I'm looking at the slugging percentages for this this group. 461 is actually great among this cluster of outfielders. Only Buxton, Renfro, Bryant, Ward, and Stanton are The bat are says it doesn't believe. The bat mm-hmm. says a 148 ISO, 418 slugging next year. I think that's probably due to a soft-ish barrel percentage, a Brandon Nimmo-esque barrel percentage at 7% without, uh, you know, without a necessarily a big hard hit rate to go with it. Um you know the max CV though is decent, so I think the raw power is good. Uh, you know the prospects report on him just says thirty five future value, which uh, you know is tough. But and and I think that has a little to do with why it took him so long to get here. He's twenty five years old. He spent a long time in the minor leagues, and uh, I I don't know I don't know that I believe honestly. Um, he he got really lucky with the batting average and balls in play, and he's a righty, so it's not necessarily something not something I can be like, oh, maybe he'll regress and maybe the shift rules will help him. Like, I don't know. I I'm not going to be buying him. A lot of times I use you know I use the bat more often than I use steamer. And these bat projections are not going to uh, produce a number where I buy him. I actually think the the bat projections might help to lower the ADP a little bit. You might see Gonzalez fall outside the top 200 in these next few weeks because as people look more closely at him, they're going to have a lot of the same questions. Doesn't steal bases. Low walk rate is always kind of a scary thing because that can cost you playing time. You mentioned being a righty too. I think as the Guardians keep bringing up more young players, they can't all play in the middle infield. Guys get to move into the outfield too. So there could be more competition for playing time there. Than we're accustomed to seeing in the yeah. Cleveland there's an interesting br- thing brewing even in the outfield depth chart with Will Brennan coming up last year, uh, and you know Miles Straw having such a poor year. Uh, Will Brennan coming up, and then George Valera has his supporters and detractors uh, in the minor leagues. Uh, but Will Brennan, 24 year old left hander with uh, extreme contact abilities. Uh, oh no, on the Guardians, no way. Um, and, uh, and even worse, um, barrel percentage, uh, but in a smaller sample, but, uh, you know, the one thing that is with these guys that put the balls in play, if he's the one getting lucky and Oscar Gonzalez is getting unlucky, 
you know, it could be Brennan that takes his job. And then George Valera is actually a very kind of unguardian-esque player with a large strikeout rate and large power numbers. Uh, but, uh, you know, Fangraphs has him as a, a 50 future value. There are other people who have him higher. There are some people who really, really love George Valera. A little bit of a step back in AAA last year to end the season, uh, but uh, a good double A season. And if he goes back to triple A and is 30% better than league average at triple A, uh, he's going to come up and he's going to cause some situations on that depth chart too. So it's easy to sort of maybe strike Miles straw and make him a fourth outfielder. He does have uh, some aspects of that in his profile and give Brennan or Valera center. But if Brennan and Valera both are playing well, uh, that could put some pressure on Oscar and Gonzalez. And then there's Josh Naylor, who can actually play uh, some outfield. Uh, so, you know, Josh Bell, there's some DH opportunities there. I think Oscar Gonzalez is fairly safe for playing time with a lot of those things having to go right for other players and stuff going wrong for him. But uh, the bad X projection is for 3% better than league average. So, you know, that puts pressure on his defense, which y- you remember some of the the poor defensive plays Oscar Gonzalez made last year. I do. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't think this is a player I'm going to end up with a lot of shares of. No, I think it's just not quite the right price and not quite the profile that I tend to go after. Last player for this episode as we close out the top 200 overall, Cody Bellinger. <laughs> Are you buying a turnaround? I'm in taking Newt Chicago? over him. Newt. All right, Newt. Newt Bar goes ahead of him usually, so that's that's in line. No, he doesn't. Mm, yeah, more recently he does. Oh, what? Are, oh, we have different. Oh, I have back to like October on right now. Yeah, the uh, January only Newt Bar is a little bit ahead of Bellinger, like ten to fifteen. But we picks. already talked about him, you know. Um, yeah, I I don't know, man. I. I it's really rare for someone to have an MVP type season and then be this bad. And it's happened to two players, but Yelich is not this bad. So I don't know, you know, he has a real uppercut swing and he's really struggled to do anything about that high fastball, but he had the same uppercut swing in his MVP seasons and he had figured out something to do with the high fastball. So what happened since? There's some good breakdowns about a foot injury as well as the shoulder injury contributing to this. Maybe he needs a new voice. It is interesting to that he's finally on a new team with a new hitting coach. Um, you know, he's yet another year away from surgeries. So uh, I might have some shares. He steals bases. You know, if he if he was a little bit luckier with the balls in play and he's a left-hander. Uh, then if he hit, you know, 230, 240 last year with 19 homers and 14 stolen bases, would we all think he's as much of a bust as he was? No, because yeah, a 30 extra 30 points in batting average wouldn't make you cringe the way that a 210 makes you cringe when you look at the slash line. And the other part of Bellinger, because of his defense and the position that he plays, his playing time is high. So even low in the order, and he'll move up in Chicago, right? Not as much talent in that lineup, so a more prominent spot. The counting stats were still good. 70 runs, 68 RBIs. That was good for last year. $8 return value. Tied with Whit Merrifield. Ahead of Mark Canna. Ahead of Giancarlo Stanton last year. What? 
your expected return in this range among outfielders probably isn't at above eight dollars anyway. I'm gonna have some shares, man. I can't. I can't help myself. No, and I, I think it's just acknowledging that you you've got those one to two shots where you're going to take some legitimate batting average risks and Bellinger's definitely one of those players, but he gets the K rate down a little bit. It's an bit. argument. It's an argument against Schwarber and who was the other batting average? We were talking about Tyler O'Neill. like, don't, you know, if you, if you know you can take those shots later, then try not to take too many of those shots early. There are quite a few ways that Cody Bellinger could go from being an $8 player last year to even just like a $15 player. And if you yeah. get a $15 player around At pick 200, you're real happy yeah. with that. Yeah. Yeah. So like Danny Jansen's down here. He might get 250 plate appearances as a, as a third, as a second catcher, you know? Yeah. Got a little more crowded in Toronto with Brandon. Travis Darno is down here, you know, like Josh Rojas right now may not have a starting position. Bellinger does. Yeah, I think the other part of this, this is late enough where you should feel comfortable cutting anyone you draft in this range if they're just not playing well, not playing enough. Yeah, if I said the Commit worm was yourself, turning though. at 160, 170, by the time you get to 180, 200, like, yeah, these guys know thyself, though, and prepare thyself, yeah, prepare thyself for cutting them. <laughs> you have to, it's harder. It's harder to do it when the player Don't used to be as love. good as Bellinger. Yeah. It, if it's a guy, if it's like Joey Manessis or someone else, that's never been this good for a full season. You're like, all right, I was just wrong. Move on. If it's Bellinger, you're like, Oh, but I don't want him to go off on someone else's route. It's the same sort of like prospect. You FOMO. know what? You know what though? There is a good action item here for Bellinger. You need to know you, you need something that you can see in a short sample and believe. Like someone who's missing power. Like if he didn't have the steals and you were like, God, I need Bellinger to get back to 45 homers, you could wait all year and then be like, oh, crap, he didn't make it. You know what I mean? Like, like you know, power takes forever to stabilize. So you, you, you can't look at slugging early and be like, oh, look, he has a 500 slugging. He could still go in the tank. But with Bellinger, with the steals and with the fact that he's had representative power, what you're looking for is the strikeout rate. You know, and strikeout rate becomes meaningful really early in the season. So in the first two weeks, even you'll know a little bit in the first month, you'll know more, you know. And so a month in the season, you could if he's striking out 28 percent of the time, cut him. It's not going to it's not going to get any better than last year. Or or start de-emphasizing him and put him on the bench and, you know, at least and maybe just cut him. And even the risk of losing an eight dollar player, if you see somebody on the wire, that's going to be better than that. So let's say the cost is basically equal, and I'm giving you 10 rosters. Harrison Bader, Cody Bellinger. On the 10 rosters, you only get one. You know, at each roster, you can only have one. You can't pair them. How many of those rosters would you put Bader on? How many of those shares would be Bellinger? 60-40, 70-30. And, and given cost, it might be 90-10. Favoring Bellinger. Yeah. Okay. I like some things that Bader does, but like, you know, he's been hurt. He's never shown the the very high end of Bellinger. Um, I don't think, I think Bellinger will hit more homers. Yeah, I think that's totally reasonable. And when you look at their projections for WRC plus, they're both a tick below league average. So both play the same position. Both have that batting average downside. I think I'm with you. I'd skew a little more towards Bellinger. Even though I like both players, it is hard to roster both of those players because of those batting average shortcomings unless you went real heavy with average throughout the early part or hadn't really taken on your batting average risk yet. But the outfield, 
Not as bad as some people are making it out to be, but you do have to pick your spots carefully. We'll continue to do that in part three, the final installment of our outfield preview. So a lot to cover. Where it gets ugly. It gets pretty gross, but we'll find some players that we actually (laughs) like, some players that fill specific needs in that range. So be sure to come back soon for part three of our outfield preview. Thanks for listening. Thank you.